There once was a man named King Ahab who sat on a throne for a while. And I wish I could say he was a good king, but quite frankly, that was not his style. For he lied and he schemed and he cheated as he made his grand way through this life. He was feared, not revered by his people, but oh, just you wait and meet his wife. For the two were untrue to their kingdom, only out to maintain their own wealth, and the rest better heed to their warnings, or they'll find it far worse for their health. One day this cruel king eyed a vineyard that somehow was not yet quite his own. So he deceived and he murdered his neighbor. Poor Naboth lost his life to the throne. But the world has a way of maintaining a balance between what's right and what's wrong. And the pair's evil ways were sustaining. So our God put an end to their song. A good king is a gift for his kingdom. O King Ahab, we wish that were you. But we hope to learn quickly your lesson and live lives that are worthy and true. Hey, good morning and welcome to Horizon. Glad you all are here. Uh, If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, my name is Ryan Ventura and I direct our student ministries here. Been here for about two years. Uh, But this is the first time on the big stage, baby. So I'm excited to be here. Um, How many of you guys have ever gotten that unexpected call from your boss? Maybe it's your day off, maybe it's an odd time, maybe you're like me and you're not exactly pen pals with your boss, Um, but several months ago, Chad calls me, okay? And when I answer the phone and it's my boss, I tend to do like the professional Ryan thing, so I'm like, hello, this is Ryan, you know, kind of the radio DJ um, vibe, you know, audible book reader kind of thing going on there. Um, And on the other end, there's Chad. And if you get to know Chad very well, you know that Chad is like amped at all times, right? Like energy level of like a toddler. Um, Like Chad is seriously like the Energizer bunny, a few cappuccinos in and a bag of Skittles down the hatch. Okay, so Chad is like, hey, hey, Ryan, how you doing, man? How's it going? I'm I'm trying to match his promptitude, which is tough. And I'm like, it's it's good, Chad. You know, I'm at the the time visiting my dad in the hospital. So it's a little hard to bring the level up. Uh, He's like, listen, I'm going to cut right to the chase. How would you feel about sharing on July 22nd in the chapel for the exploring service? You know, and and right away, my head is doing some math, right? I'm like, why is Chad asking me to speak in the exploring service? Like, I've never done that before. Um, And I start putting it together. I'm like, well, it's July. There's vacations. You know, pastors take lots of vacations, right? Um, Chad will be gone. You know, uh, Doug's retiring. Drew will be gone. You know, but I don't care. Like, my voice, I just hear my... myself saying things like, count me in. Like, that would be awesome. Thank you so much for this opportunity. And I have no idea at this point what I'm speaking on, right? Like, he could be asking me to speak on anything, and I was in. But Chad continues, and he says, so hey, hey, so the topic is gluttony, and blah, 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 blah. Because when he said the word gluttony, like the the chain on the bike in my brake just kind of like came off, right? Um, Because let me tell you, like, there is nothing and I mean nothing that will make you question your waistline more than being asked to speak on the topic of gluttony (laughs) for your first time ever at a church. Like that, that just does it. You know, and I picture Chad and Drew and Doug many months ago and they're planning this series and they're in the creative room and they get to gluttony. 
And, you know, they're all kind of skinny little guys. So they're looking at each other and they're confused. And, and the music kind of plays and they make eye contact with each other. And, and at one moment they say, Ventura! Ventura is perfect. Like, we have been to lunch with this man. Like, this is up his alley. Oh, my goodness. You know, but, but if I'm an expert on it, I'm going to own it. Okay, so I'm, gonna, I'm proud to speak on it. And, and I'm kind of crossing my fingers that I'll get a follow-up call where they're like, hey, we need a riveting message on male pattern baldness. <laughs> right? Like, I could nail that. I could crush it. So stay tuned for 2019. That may be coming right around the corner. But gluttony, gluttony is an interesting word, right? Like we hear that and we think of food. We think of Bill Murray there and Groundhog's Day. Um, But as we'll learn, it's got a lot more than just food related to it. It, It's sort of similar to envy and greed, and it's it's like an ugly stepsister of lust. Um, But as we explore it today, we'll see that it has its own idiosyncrasies that that make it its own dangerous animal, if you will. Um, But I would like to get just a a standard definition that we can use today as we deal with this for gluttony. And to do that, I'm going to go back about 100 years. There was a man named J.D. Rockefeller that we're all familiar with. Uh, He's a big part of our culture. And and at the time, he is the wealthiest man on the planet. So it's 100 years ago, and and he's worth $336 billion. So do the inflation on that, you math people. Um, He is wealthy, okay? And he's at the peak of his success he owns businesses across the country, across the world, and, he, and he's in the oil field. And, and a young, courageous reporter comes to him, and he says, Mr. Rockefeller, like, you are at the peak of success. You have homes the size of large hotels. Like, you have worked so hard. Like, how much is enough? Like, how much money, how much success, how much fame before you can just rest and, and relax? And, and Rockefeller, it's rumored, he thinks about it, and he utters these words. He says, just a little more. Like, I'm, I'm the wealthiest man on the globe, and, and I need just a little more. And, and as we talk about gluttony today, that's the definition that will say a lot. That gluttony is the concept that, man, if I had just a little more Oreos, <laughs> I'd be happy. Or if I had just a little more compensation from work, like, I, I would finally have it. Or if I had just that next house, just a little more square footage, like, that would scratch that itch. And I'll be happy. Um, But we'll learn that it's just not true. And as we think about gluttony, it takes me back to 2001. And I had taken my first job with Young Life, and I was in Athens County, Ohio. Okay? And Athens County is not the metropolitan capital of the state. All right? Like, there's not much going on there if you don't like mountain bikes and, like, farmer's markets. Like, that's about it. (laughs) Um, And and that year, a restaurant comes to Athens County. Okay? And at the time, I'm single. Becky's back here. We were dating, engaged at that point. Um, so I'm hanging out a ton with high school boys. And this restaurant, it comes to Athens, and, and it is just monumental. Like, there was almost a parade the day this place opened, okay? And, and maybe you've been there. It is not quite five-star dining. It's more like five-dollar dining. But, but it is a place called CC's Pizza Buffet, all right? You know what I'm talking You've been there on a day that you're embarrassed to admit. Um, you walk into a CC's and there's pizza as far as the eye can see, right? And there's breadsticks and there's salad and there's dessert and, and there's everything you could want in an Italian lunch, okay? And I would go with these guys and they were in high school, so they had the metabolisms of like fruit flies, right? And, and I do not, 
Um, so I go with them, but I'm trying to like match them plate for plate because I'm trying to like hang and be cool, you know. Um, so we get about three or four plates in and you are just stuffed, right? Like pizza just feels like it's going to come out of you. You know, like roll me out of CC's when we are done, fellas. Like I would get to that point. But without question, I would look on the bar and they had dessert. Oh, yeah. So you're like seven pieces of pizza in, okay? And you see dessert, and there's brownies, and, and there's like cinnamon rolls, and I can kind of take them or leave them. I'm more a salty kind of snack guy. Um, but they had this thing, and it was called a cherry strudel pizza. Okay, and it was cherry topping, and it had cinnamon and strudel and icing. And, and I would look at that every time, and I would think, reality would scream, hey, Ryan, you have eaten 2,500 calories before noon today. Like, you're done. Um, but my heart would say, well, just a little more, right? Like just a little cherry strudel. Um, and I would eat it, of course. And, and here's what I would surmise as we talk today, that each of us have a cherry strudel of sorts in our life. That, that there's that thing that you're full, you're content, but you, you, just, you just want a little more. Recently, I was speaking with a friend and I asked him, I said, hey, where have you seen gluttony in your life uh, besides the realm of food? Because that's kind of easy. And, and he shared that with him, it was with his career, that he remembered being 14 and getting his first job and making a few hundred dollars and and feeling like a little high school J.D. Rockefeller, like, how am I going to spend $200? Uh, But he shared that it went so quick. And and then he said he remembers getting his first job after college, and he's making, you know, 30, 35 grand. And again, at at the beginning, he's like, this is so much money. And then he learns about taxes and student loans and, you know, rent is a little more when you don't live with six guys in a two-bedroom apartment. And it was gone. And and he said internally, then he started saying, well, then it's 50, you know, and then it's 75, and then it's six figures. And he said the goal line just kept moving an inch and an inch and an inch further. And it's just been a frustrating thing for him. And no matter how much he's made, he's, he's just wanted a little bit more. Well, gluttony applies to that too. And the first danger of gluttony, as I think about it, is this concept that we want to look at things, be they things like cherry strudel that we can consume, or, or things like a little more money on our paycheck, and we want to think they're going to bring us contentment, but they really can't, because they're, they're just things. And that's where we're going to find old King Ahab today. So that was what my little epic poem was about, was King Ahab, okay? So King Ahab has risen, and he is the king of Israel. So he's risen through the ages and stages of life. He is, again, wealthy beyond imagination, commands respect, has power beyond imagination. And we can imagine that one day he's, he's walking through his kingdom, okay? And he's seeing maybe fields that he bought as a young boy king. And he's seeing a, a well maybe that he had commissioned. And that particular day, he gets to, he gets to a vineyard, okay? And it's a vineyard he probably should have seen by now because it's literally right next to his palace, but for whatever reason, that day he's, he's smelling the grapes and the vines. You know, I picture the vineyard with these rolling hills, kind of like California. And there's sunshine on the vineyard. And, and he, he wipes the drool from his mouth. And, and he wants that vineyard. But the problem is, is it's, it's not his vineyard, right? So he starts scheming. And, and he goes and he meets with Naboth, who is the man who owns the vineyard, okay? And it says this. It says, so Ahab spoke to Naboth saying, give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it is near next to my house and for it I will give you a vineyard better than it or if it seems good to you, I will give you its worth and money. 
first thing Naboth has to be thinking is like, sure, King Ahab, because that's what the government does, right? Like, it gives us fair and equal compensation for things when it takes it. Well, no, right? Like, that probably doesn't happen. Um, but King Ahab is scheming here, and I can relate with that. So for me, it's, it's like a Saturday morning, okay, and I've woken up, it's 9 a.m., you know, I go and I get some Starbucks, maybe you're more a Dunkin' Donuts person, and I get in my car, you know, and I pull in a lot, throw it in park, and, and I walk through the doors of what for some of us is the most magical place on earth, okay? And, and I'm not talking Horizon, <laughs> sorry Chad, I'm not talking Disney, I'm talking a Home Depot or a Lowe's, okay? Like it is just beauty beyond imagination, and a two-minute stop always turns into like a 45-minute stop. Um, and for some of us, we are into the outdoors. So we go to the garden section, and we're smelling the flowers in bloom. We're seeing the trees. We're looking at mulch and thinking of projects in our front yard, you know. Um, some of you guys are more construction-oriented. So you go to the lumber yard, and you're, you're looking at wood and connections and nails, and you're, you're dreaming of fences that you need to build and all that. Um, well, I'm a little more low-key, um, I'm like a fish. I'm attracted to shiny things, okay? Um, so I go to the appliance section, all right? And, and there it is. It's, it's a refrigerator, okay? But it, it, is, it is not just a refrigerator. Okay, this refrigerator is Wi-Fi enabled. Like I, I could surf the web on my refrigerator. It has an LCD screen. Uh, this refrigerator, of course it's stainless steel, right? Like it doesn't have stainless steel refrigerators. Um, and it is... It is so large, it has the capacity to keep a cow carcass at a chilly 34 (laughs) degrees. Okay, and I look at it, and again, I'm like King Ahab. I kind of wipe the drool off my face, and and I want it. Because here's the secret. Like, our refrigerator at home, like, it's not stainless steel, you know? And, And there's a tiny part of me, it's embarrassing to admit this, there's a tiny part of me that honestly thinks I'll be a little bit happier if it was stainless steel. Like, how silly is that? Like, oh, I can see my reflection. Life's so much better. Um, and I scheme, and I want it, and I start thinking of credit cards. Like, oh, how much room do I have on that credit card? $5,000 for a fridge? That's a deal. Um, and, <laughs> and I start thinking how I'm going to convince Becky, you know, about this, my wife, and that's a losing battle. Um, go in there. And here's the danger with gluttony, is it, it causes us to see things that we want. Again, like a, a refrigerator that costs more than my first car. Um, it causes me to see that and say, hey, that's something I need. Like, I'm convinced that I need that, right? And, and that's where Ahab's at with this vineyard. Okay, so he's, he's found Naboth. He's made his offer. And, and we'll hear Naboth's response. Naboth says, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers to you. So he's saying, hey, this is against the law. Like, it was against the law for Naboth to give his vineyard to the king. So Ahab went into his house sullen and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. So the man who is the king of Israel, here's what he does. He goes... And he goes to his palace and he throws himself on the bed. I would throw myself down, but I would not get back up. And and he's on his bed and he's refusing to talk to people. And he's refusing to eat. And he's basically acting like my three-year-old Finley, right? Like he's acting like a toddler. But before we're too hard on old King Ahab, man, can I relate? 
Like no matter how sophisticated I can try to make myself look or no matter how kingly I can feel on a given day, like most times there's this toddler inside of me that just wants what it wants, right? And I I want the lollipop or I'm going to throw a fit. (laughs) I relate with King Ahab. Because I can think of the times where there's something that I've wanted so badly and, and I put in the sacrifice, uh, I sacrifice time and energy, um, maybe I sacrifice time with my family, and, and then it didn't happen. Like, like the bottom fell out. And, and I remember feeling just devastated and just laying on the bed like that, um, figuratively. Or worse yet, think of the times where you've put in the work, you've made the sacrifices and you've gotten it, Right? Like you got the next job or you got the the promotion or you got the relationship and you're married or you had the child or you got the new set of golf clubs or whatever that is and you get it and for a while you look at it and you're like, this is beautiful, this is wonderful. But if you're like me, within a few weeks, a few months, depending on what it is, um, this, this little voice comes back, okay? And it says this, it says, just a little more. And I scream back and I say, no, I have the job. Like, I have the house. Like, I have it. And that, that calms it for a few days. And then the voice returns and it whispers, just a little more. And that's just a dangerous place to, to live life. I'd love for you to check out a video now. It's a, a friend of mine named James who's a financial planner. And the lure is the lure of more. It is that force that's pulling you towards boy if you just worked a little bit more if you just had a little bit more then you could and that's what the lure of more does you get used to this level this size house this nice car this style of living and you just kind of could always shift a little further and it wouldn't take much just a little more work just a little more travel just a little more and then all this stuff it becomes available to you that's why it's so deceptive because it's very quiet I'll meet with clients, and at some point in this conversation, when they're working 80 hours a week and they have this incredibly overcommitted lifestyle, they have a pause, and it's just this moment of clarity where they say, how did we get here? This isn't what we wanted. This had nothing to do with what we set out to become. And that is what the Lord of More does. So as James shared, often, or sometimes, if I'm honest, I'll have that moment where I hit the brakes and clarity rules the day. And I say, hey, this, this isn't going to bring me happiness. Um, but more often, I just, I plow ahead. And that's what we see with old King Ahab. So he, he's laying on his bed and his wife finds him that way. And, and I don't know about you, but if my wife finds me crying on my bed and refusing to eat, it's, it's probably going to be a little bit of a dramatic conversation. Um, and Jezebel finds him. And again, Jezebel, right? Like anybody here named Jezebel? Anybody? Anybody? No. Like we, we did not name our two daughters Jezebel. Um, and we're going to learn it's, it's for good reason. Uh, so it says this. She finds him and she says, Why is your spirit so sullen that you eat no food? So she's like, what is going on, husband? And, and he says this to her. And here's kind of the voice how I would hear it. Because again, he's acting like a toddler. Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite. And he said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else if it pleases you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. You know, you hear him, it's like your kids when they're telling on each other and telling the story. <laughs> That's King Ahab. Um, well, Jezebel is going to take care of things, okay? So she tells him, she says, 
you now exercise authority over all of Israel. Eat food and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. And she does. She puts into play this deceitful plan where Naboth gets accused of something he's never done and he gets killed. He's literally murdered for a vegetable garden. Now I like veggies as much as the next guy. So not very much. Um, but we're not talking bacon here, people. Right? Like, a, a wife no longer has a husband. Children no longer have a father. Because King Ahab wanted to turn a vineyard into a vegetable garden. Like, let's be honest. Like, reality had to be screaming to Ahab, you are the king. Like, you snap your fingers and any assortment of veggies can be brought to you, right? Like, he had all power. That's what reality was screaming, but his heart was screaming, but, but what about that vineyard? Like, what about that little vineyard? Like, that's, that's what I want. That's what I need. And, and that brings us to the, the third danger of gluttony, is that it, it blinds us to reality, we're that toddler. And the reality is, it, we don't, the reality doesn't even matter to us at that point, right? Um, gluttony whispers, it says, it's just cherry strudel, right? Like dessert calories don't even count. <laughs> they're like extra food. Uh, well, no, they're, that's probably 500 extra calories at that point. Like that certainly counts. Um, gluttony whispers, like it's, it's just a, a few more hours a day at work and, and it'll mean this. But maybe the implications of that are or damages to your marriage and your family and your, and your health. Well, that's what gluttony does is it, it blinds us. And, and that's what it's done with King Ahab here. And he gets his vegetable gardens and, and we're assuming he's ankle deep in carrots and peas and other goodies. Um, and God is not happy. Like God has been watching this whole thing unfold. And, and within a few years, King Ahab is killed in battle. And he's killed by an unnamed arrow. Talk about an act of God. It's like somebody just shoots an arrow and it, <laughs> it kills King Ahab. Um, but within another year, his wife Jezebel is murdered. She's thrown out of a third-story balcony and dies that way. And, and soon thereafter, his two sons are killed and the kingdom is done. And as you read that, chapter after chapter, too much to read here, you see that it all points back to this vineyard. And old King Ahab's desire for it. But we know that there's, there's deeper issues here than a man's love of vegetables, right? We know that deep inside of King Ahab, as in deep inside of me, as in deep inside of you, there was a voice that just kept whispering, that kept saying, just, just a little more. There was a void that he could just not fill. And he was king. So yeah, he had every way to fill it possible, and, and he still couldn't fill it. Blaise Pascal has a a great quote, and it says this. It says, There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ. So Pascal is saying, Hey, you were created with a a vacuum in your heart. And he's alluding and believes, and I would agree, that the only thing that's going to fill that is God. Like nothing else can fill it. We have some of these weird appliances that have like one weird plug, and that's the only plug that'll fit in that thing. And that's what Pascal is saying. Like you were made with this, this void that cannot be filled. And, and it reminds me of a story. So Jesus is traveling, and he's with his friends, and they're walking, and it's the hottest part of the day, okay? And, and they come to Samaria, and they find a well, a 
okay? So it's probably three in the afternoon. It is dead hot. Odds are nobody else is there because people came to the well in the morning to get water for the day. It was cool in the morning. Three o'clock, nobody's there. And, and it tells us that Jesus sits down and he's resting, okay? Because Jesus was fully God and fully human. So he's tired. He's sweaty. And, and he's at this well. And, and the scripture tells us that along comes a woman. Again, it makes me think of the Chicago song from many years ago. But along comes a woman, okay? And I imagine, since it's just the two of them, that it's that awkward elevator kind of deal. You know, where you're the only person on the elevator and then somebody else gets on and you kind of do the, like, head nod. We're like, hey, what's up? What's up? Um, and it's sort of like that social contract where you're like, hey, I'm not a serial killer. You? Nope. Okay, we're good. Um, well, that happens, but then Jesus engages her, okay? And he starts speaking with her. And as they talk, we learn that she's coming to that well really thirsty physically, right? Like it's the middle of the day. She's just now getting water. Um, but we're going to learn that she's coming to that well really emotionally and spiritually thirsty too. As they talk, we'll learn that she's lived a, a hard life and she's coming to this well with a lot of broken, broken places. Jesus will tell us that she's been married five times and, and the man she's with now isn't her husband. He's a new guy, right? So why is she there at that weird hour well, if you've been divorced five times and you have five exes running around and five sets of in-laws and broken relationships and friendships and cousins, you know, she doesn't want to be at Walmart and run into those people, right? Um, so she's there at that time to avoid the town. She's there at that time to avoid people, to avoid feeling the, the shame and, and the scorn uh, of her life. But Jesus speaks to her and, and he says these words. He says, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. So she's not stupid. She's like, give me this free water that never runs out. Like, here, take my money, Jesus. Like, that miracle Gatorade sounds great. Um, But Obviously, Jesus is talking about deeper stuff, and their, their conversation continues, and they talk about life, and they talk about love, and they talk about theology and deep things, and she's sharing her heart. And, and I believe as the story unfolds that she gets to that moment that James alluded to in the video, where she has this moment of clarity, and she's thinking back on the, the brokenness of her marriages— and we don't know who was culpable in each of those, right? Like maybe all five of those guys were horrible. Um, but I would imagine there was some culpability on her part too. But what we do know is that she had been coming to that well, the well for just a little more love, just a little more affection, just a little more romance. She, she had been coming to that well over and over again and just finding it empty. And she's standing in front of Jesus knowing it's empty. And she has this epiphany, I think, where she starts talking about hope. And she alludes to the, the, the person and the thing that everyone in that culture had been waiting for. She says this. She says, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called the Christ. So it's almost like she's kind of clearing the deck. They've talked about so much, all kinds of stuff. She's clearing the deck. And she says, the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Right? Again, she's, she's thinking back on, on her life and, and she's looking for something to put hope in. And Jesus says these words to her. He says, I who speak to you am he. Like I'm it. 
Like, I'm the one you've been waiting for. Like, you haven't been able to find enough. It's always been just a little more. And I'm it. Like, I am here. And she is so taken by that that she, she leaves her, her uh, jug that she was there to get water. And she runs back to town. And she finds the people that she had been trying to avoid. Like, how crazy is that? Like, I would have kept hiding. But she runs towards them. And we're told that she finds them, okay? And she engages them. And she says, I have met a man who has told me everything that I've ever done in my life. Could he be the Messiah? Like, could he, could he be the Messiah? Like, could he be the guy we've been waiting for? And really, she's saying, could he be enough? Like, I'm so thirsty. I'm so thirsty for life. Like, could he be enough? And, and maybe today, maybe today that's you. Like maybe you've been coming to Horizon for a while, or maybe it's your first day here. Uh, but maybe that's where you are with God on your journey. You've investigated it, you've checked it out, and you're like, could, could he be it? Like, could he be the Messiah? Could he be enough? Well, I'd encourage you to do what they do. It says the whole town, okay, so here comes the parade. <laughs> they all go back to the well, okay? So, you know, I'm picturing a parade in my head. And, and they engage with Jesus. And, and it says this. It says they asked him to stay and Jesus stays for two days and just speaks with these people. And I wish, I wish there was like a whole other book of the Bible that tells us what all they talked about, because it would have been awesome. Um, but what we do know is that this life, this lady's life is never the same, right? This town is never the same. They all engaged Jesus. They all found the Messiah in that moment. And as I consider the, the gluttony of King Ahab and, and just wanting the little more of the vineyard, just a little more possession, a little more power, and, and I consider the gluttony of the Samaritan woman just needing a little more love, just a, a little more affection, it, it forces me to consider my own cravings, right? It forces me to consider the things that like, I want just a little bit more of. And I believe that they tell me a lot about myself. They tell me the things that I, I value, the things I'm willing to sacrifice for. And if I'm honest, I've found them, these cravings, these desires for just a little bit more, to be unquenchable chasms. Like even when I get them, it's not enough. Like it's like that itch in the middle of your back, you know, where you're like doing the bear thing and you're going up to the corner to try to scratch it or your spouse has to get it for you. Um, sometimes that's what life can feel like, that there's this itch that you just cannot scratch. There's a desire that's never fulfilled. C.S. Lewis, one of the great thinkers of the past generation, has a, a quote on this and it says this. It says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find myself, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. And, and I think maybe that's our lesson for today. That we have these desires, we have these cravings, these just a little bit mores, and, and they're just shadows of our craving for the real thing. Maybe Pascal and C.S. Lewis are right. Maybe we were born 
with this void in our heart that just can only be filled by God. Maybe we were born with a craving for a kingdom that we're not yet at. Maybe that's true. What if the cherry strudel or the vineyard can never satisfy you and you live a life just trying to scratch that itch over and over again and it doesn't happen? What would it look like to trade a lifetime of thirsting, a lifetime of going to various wells for a lifetime of contentment? Could it be possible to silence the whisper of just a little bit more with the resounding voice of the Messiah saying, in me you have it all. No a little bit more. In me you have it all. Well, that's the invitation of Jesus to the Samaritan woman and, and that's the invitation of Jesus to us today. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your word that has such, such wisdom. I thank you that I relate with King Ahab at so many levels that so often I am just a toddler and I, I long for that, that next thing knowing full well that it will not scratch the itch. I thank you for your interaction with the Samaritan woman and that you offered her contentment. You offered her a life of no longer thirsting, no longer going to well after well, looking for fulfillment. Pray that we could each find that in our own lives. In your name, amen. Hey, as you go, I want to tell you about something really cool. Uh, So in August, we're doing this thing called Kaboom, okay? And if you've never been a part of Kaboom, it is a celebration of the new ministry year. So it's on August 18th, which is a Saturday. It's 8 to 9.30. And what happens is we shoot Rozzy fireworks over the pond. So the same fireworks that are over the river downtown, they will be over our little pond. Low show and high show. It's amazing. Um, We'll have an ice cream buffet. Um, The East Station worship team will perform. And and if you want to do it, if you're interested, I would encourage you to bring a friend. Come meet some folks from Horizon. You can grab tickets in the atrium at the registration desk. Um, They're complimentary. And and that night you'll want to bring a lawn chair or a blanket or something to sit on. Um, So have a great day. Have a great weekend.